Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. The Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast is now supported by the Urban Land Institute. To find out more about becoming a member, please follow the link in the show notes, remembering to quote the promo code ACRE to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership. More details at the end of this podcast. So, welcome to the latest installment of the Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast. I'm Nick Carman, your host, and this evening I'm sat with Helen Martin, Managing Director for the Central Region of Waits Group. Now, Helen's career includes 11 years with Skanska, five of which is the Managing Director of their development business, and I am very much looking forward to hearing uh, the story from Helen's sort of, uh, transition across two major Tier 1 contractors, starting off in engineering. So, Helen, should we start off? Let's say, tell us a bit more how sort of chapter one begins. Hi, Nick. Lovely to be here with you this evening. Um, yeah, I think that the first chapter for me really was around the, the choice to study civil and structural engineering at university, which, as you've just alluded to, was the first step in a career that's lasted oh, at the latest count about 25 years. Um, and what drew me to engineering in the first place, and I think has been a foundation for the for my career to date and hopefully in the future is just the incredible variety that's possible within the world of engineering and then real estate if you read forward into it um, and and some of the experiences I've had some of the projects I've worked on some of the amazing people and teams I've got to know through that period I just reflect on it and in you know preparing for our conversation this evening just reflected on what a wonderful experience of different cultures different environments and different learning opportunities well then let's get uh, let's start to unpick that a bit then Helen so tell us about sort of the sort of what happened sort of after university days so university for me was four years of brilliant intense learning a lot of fun a lot of new experiences lived away from home for the first time and then didn't really go back home spent holidays at home but that was really it and I started my first graduate job six weeks after I finished my degree course um, and I worked for Atkins um, so I went into Atkins very structured um, graduate training program into the building design part of that business um, which was great so I had the experience of joining the business with a cohort of other graduates um, lots in common all dealing with the same kind of emotion and experience you know you finished your structured tuition and now this is the this is the first job um and what was brilliant about the experience was one you had other people there peers that you could talk to about what that meant and and what that felt like and because Atkins you know such a big global business with this huge depth of resource and capability it meant that over the period of three or four years, I was exposed to all sorts of different kinds of projects from, you know, my first, first project as a graduate design engineer was a, a school building, actually, just up the road from where the office was. Um, so to be able to leave the office and drive the 10 minutes up the road to see my school being built at the time was was just tremendous. But it meant I got to, you know, work in and around, you know, major international projects, big brand 
stadia and hotels and roads and highway schemes, but then those smaller community scale projects, if you will, things like schools and bits of civic infrastructure. So it is just that breadth of not quite knowing really on a day-to-day basis what the what the uh, what the day may hold but just getting to meet those different people different clients um, multidisciplinary teams so that intense exposure I I suppose really to new experiences now if I if if I think about sort of my own experience sort of university to sort of the real world yeah I, I think it was a real learning experience for me in some ways about sort of you know what I thought was going to be the real world how how much sort of how did your sort of picture of sort of engineering at university and that pattern you obviously by the way you sort of talk is really obvious about sort of the passion for for that as a craft how did that meet reality <laughs> um I think I think I possibly had this slightly naive uh, assumption about how quickly things can happen and um you know kind of a quite straightforward view of you know how how teams come together and how the complexity of some of these projects whether you know all the way through from concept design then into delivery then into the the handover to whoever it is is going to use I, I don't think I'd fully appreciated just the range of people and skills and disciplines that would come together even for something you know relatively straightforward the the school project that I talked about you've got six or seven specialist disciplines and particular advisors around planning or ecology or acoustics um, highways interfaces and I think the the reality of going from theoretical analytical based learning into the practicalities of how these things actually happen I think that for me was probably the 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 biggest learning point and then you you throw in the dynamics of people and personalities and deadlines and pressure points like that Um, and, and you know it's it's a high energy environment there's a lot going on and a lot to take in and it's it is ever changing so our listeners would sort of be very, very familiar with me sort of banging on about this um, uh, acceleration, consolidation and catalyst about these sort of three repeating sort of chapters. Uh, and and sort of the way you sort of describe those very earliest days of the graduate programme, sort of fast, furious learning, you, you, you can't help but, but accelerate. But that does have a habit then of slowing down the pace of that sort of waning. When did that start to, or when did you feel that happen I think it was probably as I came to the end of the you know the post-university structured professional qualifications route so I was part of the um, institution of civil engineers graduate training program which meant to led to hopefully um, achieving a professional qualification membership of the institution of civil engineers so there was for the first Three to four years, typically, that meant working through a series of objectives, preparing reports, demonstrating capability, new skills and experience. So for me, I'd got an eye on that prize. I, I've come from university. The next step in my professional development is this this badge, this professional qualification. Um, and as I approached that, which was probably about four years into my working career, 
inevitably, I think you reflect on what you've learned, where you've come from, and recognise that you've learned a lot. And for me, there was a period of reflection of, and do I want to keep on doing this? And I think it's a certainly from my experience, it's an important milestone for lots of people to say, I've achieved this thing and now what's next? And I think it was at that stage that it almost I almost consciously looked at what are the things that I get most satisfaction from, most reward from in the job that I'm doing. And is there sufficient of those things for me to to stick with this, to stick with this career path, to stick with this career route? Or is there something more I need? And I think at that point, it was the realisation of thinking, I actually need to learn more in this area because this is the dynamic in this environment that gives me most satisfaction and also where I think I've got something to offer. And for me, that was around the dynamics of project and programme management and bringing teams together. And at that point, I, I was lucky really in that working for a big global like Atkins, there were other areas of the business that offered that kind of opportunity. Um, and equally, as a pretty progressive employer, they were quite comfortable to support me having those conversations to say, I don't think I'm in quite the right place for me. And actually, could I, is there an opportunity to move elsewhere within the business, which is what I ended up doing. And what, so what was that transition? Um, so I actually joined the part of the business that was called uh, at the time, I'm not sure what it's called these days, which was the um, major projects unit, which effectively was a consultancy part of the business that worked with clients to advise on the delivery of mega schemes. So at the time I joined, I think there was a team working on High Speed One. There was a team working on the um, Tube, uh, Transport for London Tube uh public-private partnership. Um, there was lots of work around big road schemes and advisory. So it was the dynamic of teams and people looking at risk and opportunity, looking at how programmes are driven along. And there was a real appeal for me in that. You know, it's still very much engineering and delivery focused, but rather than being the technical expert, where I sat with building design, it was much more of a, I suppose to an extent, a generalist, but learning around the discipline of projects. So at this point, then, sort of Helen, now you're sort of in some ways sort of like your second chapter within sort of Atkins. What do you think you were learning at this stage of the career? I think this was really about how you create effective teams. So I was really lucky. I worked on a project that included a multidisciplinary team across 12 different European countries. And I was the, the programme manager for it. And it was such a wonderful experience to work with teams from different backgrounds, from different cultures, different first languages, trying to establish common ground, if you will. And what I took from that, I hope, and what I hope I still consciously respond to today is the respect for what people bring to a project taking the time to understand people as individuals even within that team and an appreciation of people's different lived experiences working with teams from 12 european countries which many people would say are quite similar but culturally um 
and experientially, they were really quite different. It's quite different working with a Finnish team to working with a Spanish team, working with a Norwegian team to working with the Italians or the Greeks. And I learned so, and also <laughs> even going back, I don't know, more than 15 years now, working virtually. So we weren't all based in the same place. So when I reflect on the experiences we've just been through with COVID, but also how many different people, teams, projects I've worked with over the years, I just think that was the most brilliant experience. Now, I just, uh, I thought this is a nice, a nice time to bring something else in. So, you know, I like to do my research and I've spoke to a couple of different people who've, who've known you throughout the uh, sort of different stages of your career. Um, now, I do, it's a bit of, for those listening, I do always ask the same three questions to the people who I want to get a bit of background. And the first question I always ask is, do you remember what and when was your first impression of my guest? And I'm not quite sure how to read is this, Helen, but both the people <laughs> I spoke to had the most sort of vivid memories of their first impression of Helen Martin. So you obviously leave a mark. Oh, my word. Um, now, I spoke to someone who knew you around this sort of time and you know, sort of given that you were sort of, you know, sort of a, a graduate still sort of early on in, in your career, you know, I think this makes it all the more sort of remarkable um, because they described you as confident and fearless. <laughs> um, and I, so it got, it got me thinking, is this, is this a persona that Helen adopts or was, you know, is, is that a sort of a, a genuine sort of aspect sort of of, of Helen? I think I'm I'm just smart, smiling at that quote, um, which I think is lovely. Is it a persona? It really isn't a persona. I think there's, over time, um, yeah, I've been through lots of career development things, lots of learning things. You do lots of psychometrics. And I, what I would acknowledge is very much what you see is what you get with me. Um, I don't wear a mask at work. I don't bring a different character to work and hang it up on the door when I go home. Um Fearless is an interesting way of describing it. I think what I have done in probably lots of situations over the years is back myself. So whether that's fearless or not, I'm not sure it's quite the same thing. Um, but I think I've always taken a view that, you know, what's what's the worst that happens? Do I feel trepidation at times? Yes. Do I feel nervous in circumstances? Absolutely. I don't think I'd be human if I didn't. But I think I've always approached everything with the view that if going into something thinking I trust myself to be able to deal with whatever's in front of me or to seek help if I'm not sure how to do something or to look to those around me and my team members to bring skills that I maybe don't have. So if that translates into confident and fearless, um, yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I, th I think it'll be, it's going to, a topic we're going to keep coming back to, I think. But it just brings, it gives us a really nice sort of segue then into sort of the next chapter, because, you know, we've got a very, a very sort of now sort of good foundation. Helen's a chartered engineer. She's been working for sort of the UK sort of leading sort of brand in, uh, in that field. But we know now sort of uh, history sort of tells us that you don't stay at Atkins. So what comes next? What's the, uh, what's the first career move then? So the, so the next career move was, something quite different in a sense that having spent was eight years in the end as a major global consulting engineer my next career choice was to go and join effectively a business startup much smaller business much smaller company um 
circa, I think it was 20 something people when I chose to join. I'm very much still focused in that world of um, delivery of projects, infrastructure, both social and economic infrastructure, set up by a bunch of people who'd come out of big contractors, big consultants, and who thought they could bring a slightly more agile approach to that environment, um, and who really just wanted to find smart, bright people, people who maybe thought a bit differently around things, and just bring them together to go and advise clients. Um, So it was a a leap of faith to a certain extent um, to say, okay, I'm going to step away from a world which is quite structured, which I'd got used to, understood how the business operated. They didn't want me to leave, which is always quite flattering. But to go and say, I'm going to do something different because I've enjoyed my experience, but what happens if there's an experience there that's even more rewarding or more challenging or I'm going to learn something different, come what may. So so that was the choice I made, which created a need, I suppose, to be more self-sufficient, um, probably more effective self-starter in terms of, you know, the, the hierarchies weren't necessarily there in the same way. The support systems weren't necessarily there. You you wanted something done, you kind of went and found a way of doing it yourself. So it's a, a maybe a certainly a more agile environment, I think. Now, that's that sounds like a yeah, sort of a very exciting. It sounds like quite a fulfilling sort of uh, moment in uh, in that career. Uh, and there's no doubt we could spend an awful lot of time sort of digging into it. But it, but I think this sort of this is a really interesting sort of moment and a good lesson for anyone listening is that for all the sort of career planning, best will in the world, sometimes the world has a different a different idea, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, tell us tell us a bit more about sort of how the external factors changed what you thought was going was going that next career move was going to going to uh, create. Yeah, I, it was really the point at which the 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 nimble agile business startup, which had been clearly quite successful, was then bought out by an American management consultancy business who were looking to establish a presence in the UK. So we went from small team, knew everybody, knew what we were about, knew what we were able to do into a, again, a global management consultancy business with very clear structures, targets, measurement, process, procedure, ways of working. And over a period of, I don't know, perhaps 12 to 18 months, I think what I learned about myself was that the environment that that then created wasn't giving me that same challenge or or personal reward. Um, And at that point, that was a, a, you know, a conscious decision on my part that this is not rewarding me in the way I wish it could. And therefore, I think I need to do something different. Whether it was good karma, contacts I'd made in the business, um, I was approached by Skanska um, about a role working in their PFI slash public-private partnerships team, which I perhaps hadn't fully appreciated they did. I didn't really know much about Skanska as a business, um, but intrigued me sufficiently Um to sit down to talk to them about what they were looking for, the kind of people they were looking for, um, and that led to the to the next role. I asked you a question at the start about sort of perception and reality, 
what was the, what was the perception of working for a tier one contractor versus the reality? Oh, that is a good question. I think if you'd have asked me when I came out of university what I thought a tier one contractor was, I'd have given some horribly trite answer about being out on site. Hairy ass builders. And, well, there's a few of them, and uh, <laughs> being out on site in the muck and bullets and standing as a graduate engineer with a ranging pole or a tripod or something. And in in some circumstances, you know, that that is true. There, there are a lot of graduates who start very successful careers in that way. And at the time, that, that wasn't what I wanted for myself. But having sat down with the guys and understood more about the breadth of services that companies of that kind of scale offer... I was genuinely intrigued. And I think you, know, you look at yourself in the mirror and think you, you kind of you reach a conclusion or you, you judge a situation without fully appreciating what these businesses actually deliver. And I think that's true for all of those kind of tier one contractors. The breadth of services, the breadth of capabilities, the type of experience and skills that they now have, it, you know, you need to scratch beneath the surface of that. Um, and yeah, get beneath the hairy ass builder. Um, well, this, this gives me a, a moment then for sort of to spring in a little bit more of our research. Um, and so from a, diff- a different sort of source, you know, when I when I asked them about you know what they uh, most admire or what they think are sort of the most sort of admirable traits about Helen, this is what they said. She doesn't coast. She's aware of her own learning journey and she doesn't just let it run its course. She's someone who's constantly got the hands on a wheel. Uh, and I, 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 can, I can definitely empathise with that, sort of given sort of the, the way you've sort of told this story so, so far. There's lots of sort of junctions that you could have just sat it out. You know, I wonder how it might sort of pan out. I wonder sort of, you know, it might not be quite sort of um, quite what I think what I think it might. And there will have lots of other people who will have simply just sat there and just allowed that period of sort of consolidation to have lasted much, much longer than you have. But, you know, you've, you've sort of had sort of the confidence, uh, self-belief, backs yourself as using using your own terms to to make to make that that change and i think yeah this is this is a i think another really interesting sort of point isn't it, in terms of the career you know we've once more we're not only sort of changing employer we're changing employer types different role different market there's an awful lot going on at the moment isn't it and yeah. the pace of that that sort of learning must must have been phenomenal it, it was in some ways and others it was familiar. So familiar in the sense that while I'd still been working in management consultancy, we'd been advising on some kinds of the PFI projects. You're still operating and it's still a, a built environment experience, if you will. So some of the landscape was familiar. I think the, the fundamental difference, though, was the shift in mindset from advisory into delivery. I am not sitting suggesting to somebody how they should go about something or giving an opinion. It is now my decision, my call, me accountable for all of those things. Um, and it is quite a shift. But I really, really enjoyed it. And I think that actually was part of the appeal in having that conversation with Skanska um, in the first place was this is about getting stuff done. And I'm not the most patient person in some circumstances, 
And the, I think there was an element of frustration in that advisory environment in that, you know, you, you give advice, people have not, yeah, it's very helpful, thank you, found the report very clear. We're just going to, we just can't do it at the moment. And and I think there was an element for me around the momentum and the impetus in delivery organisations like tier one contracting is, you know, you get stuff done. You see an outcome from the hard work and effort you've put in that is tangible. It's not necessarily immediate, but you see the benefit of what you do played out in the communities in which we provide these brilliant facilities in the infrastructure that goes into the UK. So I'm you know, really passionate about the impact that good quality economic and social infrastructure has in the UK. I think, you know, communities transformed. I worked on the Building Schools for the Future programme and I know it's had its critics quite rightly in many regards, but when you look at the quality of buildings that went into some quite difficult communities, they were transformative in some circumstances. And there were children in those buildings who hoped they could have a better future as a result. I really do believe that. So Helen, how does this chapter now, at this period of time at at Scanzig, how does that develop um, uh, for you? So I think it it really was the political change around PFI and PPP as a contracting and procurement model. And big P politics played its part when effectively with the change in government, it fell out of favour. And the team I'd been working with were, were busy looking at other investment and construction opportunities. But it it felt like we were we were on a bit of a slowdown. It felt a bit like we were in standby mode, I suppose, waiting for some stimulus in the market. And, that you know, we're trying to create our own opportunity. But it was incredibly frustrating. Um, and at that point in time, there was an opportunity came up to to, you know, step out of that. PFI PPP team, if you will, and join the the UK construction business. So to, you know, properly embedded into the hardcore delivery of UK construction PLC. And and for anyone who's not familiar, how different is this? Same same employer, same same badge, right? Yep. How how different though is, or how big a sort of a, a leap was that? I think it's. Culturally, it was quite different. I think more, more in the sense of, you know, the. I think <laughs> if you'd asked people within the Skanska construction business what they thought of the PFI and PPP team, I think they thought, you know, we were the fancy pants gang who swanned around uh, in the nice offices and didn't really understand what they got to uh, got up to on site. I'm probably being a bit mean, but they certainly did have a joke at our expense on a regular basis. So, so. I think there was a, there's an error. Oh, okay. So Helen's going to come come and join us, is she? Um, and I, I think it's one step closer to the action. I suppose is the obvious in that there's a, a direct relationship between the work that that team does and physical activity on site in a much closer, much more tangible way. And and the role I was doing actually was a a, a corporate function which span cut across all of of the different services and products that Skanska delivered in the UK market will deliver still for the most part, um, which meant that I went through a tremendous learning again, there's that word, around all of the different services and products, all of the different contracting models, the risk reward profiles of forms of contract, what margin we could command in different markets, who the competitors were, 
um, what the dynamic of the market was, um, what the customer environment was like. So to go from having worked in quite a, you know, a niche niche environment in PFI and PPP into this breadth of construction activity spanning, you know, relatively small scale social infrastructure into hundreds of millions of pounds worth of, of road schemes or tunnels or all the rest of it um, was a pretty fabulous learning curve just in terms of the differences, the contrasts, the types, the test of understanding relationship with the teams. So, you know, in, a, in quite a short period of time, having to compress that understanding and be capable of talking about it and presenting it back to others as well. Makes sense. So I've been sat back sort of, you know, sort of listening to Helen and, you know, whether it's myself or our listeners, there's no, there's no doubt sort of you, you can tell that sort of your career is sort of, is sort of building at pace and you're obviously not someone to sit around still for very, very long. So I am curious as to, you know, what is the next challenge that comes along? So this was a, an internal move. And at the time, Skanska had a, a small commercial development business in the UK, been established for few years, some years, let's say, not a major player in the market, but investing company money, commissioning some, some nice buildings, making a decent return. And there'd been some challenges within the business, and there was going to be a, a need to bring in a new managing director for that part of the business. And I was asked by um, the senior team in the business at the time whether I'd be prepared to step in. I needed to make um, quite a quick change. And, you know, how did I feel about taking that on? And it, I guess I asked the question that lots of people do when presented with that kind of circumstance. Well, when do I need to, to give you an answer? Um, and bearing in mind this conversation took place at 5.30 one Monday, I think it was. The response I got was, well, preferably by uh, by eight o'clock tomorrow morning, if that's OK. <laughs> so not a tremendous amount of reflection time. Um, but I remember I called, called my husband up, I have to say hands-free, in my car on the way home that evening and um, explained what had gone on in the day. And pretty well, I think the only thing he said to me was, well, of course you're going to do it, aren't you? Why does he say that about you? Well, I, th I think he's known me for some time. I think, one, he knows you, I don't duck a challenge. And, and an intellectual challenge as well in terms of there's something here that needs fixing. And whether that's the engineer part of my brain with that problem-solving thing, I think to an extent it is. You know, I'd been in the, the role I'd been doing for about 18 months, nearly two years. I'd established a, a, a new function. It was up and running. It was ticking along. It was doing a good job. I was doing a good job. But I think it already started in my head to think, OK, well, what is next? And then, you know, somebody saying, here's a challenge. Are you up for it? Um, yeah. Yeah, it was. So I th I think there's two things going on at the moment. Or at least there's two things going through my my mind. There's the there's the Helen who backs herself, right? Some yep. call it fearless. Some sort of call it, uh, sort of self confidence. But there's another thing about sort of making a decision or uh, without having all the facts or at least having all the information, right? Because you can't possibly sort of do the uh, 100% of the due diligence in an in an evening, can you? You know, no. that five thirty to eight eight a.m. I mean, is is Helen a is Helen a risk taker, or does Helen assess risk differently? 
I think probably both, depending on which way you look at it. I think that you're quite right. I I didn't have all of the facts in an evening. Um, I knew, obviously, from being part of the business, I knew a little bit about the business and what it did. Um, I knew some of the team. I knew the kinds of projects that they delivered. So it wasn't an alien environment. And I also, I, I suppose, was more comfortable because in being asked to if I was prepared to do it, there was confidence being demonstrated by the senior team in the in the Skanska business that they would trust me to take that on. So it wasn't stepping into an, an, another organisation at that kind of notice, knowing nothing about the business or the people who operated or the culture and the values and all of that kind of stuff. So yes, to an extent, it was a risk and I don't quite know what I'm getting myself into. I think probably lessened by, but I know the people I'm going to be working with or some of them. And there are people very senior in this business who are trusting that I have the skills and capability to do this. So was it a risk? Yes. Did I kind of do that internal monologue assessment? Yeah, I think so. I certainly didn't go into it completely blindly. So you mentioned then about having the, 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 the people who asked you to consider this had the faith that you had the right skills. So what's, what skills were necessary? I think oh, there was a whole, whole raft of challenges, I suppose. One was a need to step into a team that for various reasons were struggling a little bit in confidence themselves or relationship with the broader business. So there was definitely a people aspect to it. Um, we need to make a change. It will be quick. So we want, you know, there's an element of providing leadership at a difficult time. There was a need to bring the team on that journey because it would be change and to keep them on board. But I also did have to make some quite difficult decisions about restructuring the team. So it was you know, there were some difficult business decisions needed to be made and needed to be taken, but balanced out with the need to to retain some really valued employees and to keep them motivated and moving on the journey through this transition period. So, so I think probably the hardest, the thing I learned most about, I suppose myself in that time, was it was a test of resilience. It wasn't easy. We just talked about the fact I didn't know everything about what I was getting myself into when I said, yeah, OK. And having picked a few rocks up and checked the worms underneath it, you know, no situations ever as you as you preconceive it, I suppose. So it, it was hard. It was difficult. Now, I, I put that same question to to, again, someone else who, who, who knows you quite well from this time. And and this is what they said. Helen is great with people. People love to work for her. So I sus- I sus- yeah, I'm very conscious you know, that's not your words. Um, but if that chances are that's what the, the person or people who offered you this position, you know, was also their their opinion. So if you are moving into a, a, a team, and I'm led to again, it's not your information, it's someone else's that um that was fractured, that needed a bit of TLC, then again, maybe having someone then who have these these skills are gonna be really important. 
as a moment of sort of, of reflection, anyone listening to this who feels they don't have those skills or they don't feel very strong, what words of advice would you give them? I think that the thing for me is always about respect for people, is respect for individuals, respect for the skills they bring to the team, I think, and taking the time to see those people as individuals and understand what that looks and feels like. I am incredibly passionate about the value of diversity in teams and creating an inclusive environment. And I try to invest time in that, in creating safe places for people to come to work, psychologically safe, but also, as I say, that that respect point, valuing people for the contributions they bring and being upfront about valuing it, you know, calling it out, telling people when they've done a fantastic job, being there when it gets a bit difficult. So it isn't always easy, uh, but I think just taking the time to see people as individuals for me is a key thing. Well, let's go. Let's go on then. So we've we've talked about sort of the um, sort of how you took the role. We've talked about sort of the sort of some of the, the challenges that you, you faced. Well, let's get into the meat of it. Let's you know what happened during during this time when you were the managing director for Skanska's uh, development business. So we did some great stuff. We did some great projects. Um, we made a lot of money for the business, and then the the group in Sweden decided that they didn't want to invest company capital into into the UK market in the same way as they had been, that they wanted to prioritise um, that investment elsewhere in the world, which meant that having spent the period of time working with the team, creating this team, restabilising the team, resetting the agenda, the business, building confidence, I had to then close down that part of the business, which I think is probably one of the hardest things I've ever been asked to do from a point of all of that time, energy, investment, the belief that we'd got, we were on the brink of doing some really brilliant work, to then be told, you need to do this, was really hard. I can imagine it must be incredibly difficult. But why was it difficult? What was what was the, the most difficult part of what was, no doubt, a very difficult situation? I think it was the fact that I felt we were all invested together in what we could see was going to be a really successful run of projects. And not invested monetarily, but emotionally. We we knew what we needed to do. We got a plan to do it. Everybody was in it. We were all, you know, pointing in the right direction, got lots of energy about it. And it got taken away from us. And And so I felt really defensive on the part of my team um and a personal element of but we, we we can do this we've got this and and I think that was the hardest bit that we all felt genuinely we could have delivered something great and we never got to show that we could uh, so, so I, you've sort of sat back listening to this story you've you've told you know a really inspiring sort of story about about someone who has sort of shot through businesses like a rocket but you've you've done that sort of despite there being big external obstacles and this this feels like it's been been the biggest 
what was your what was your first what what was the your next action after that well i knew before my team did and i had to keep that to myself for a period of weeks so I had, to, I had to go and sit down in a room and have a word with myself and, and process it for myself as well because what I knew the team didn't need from me was me being emotional, angry, in denial. You know, they would need me to show leadership through this process to support them rationalising, coming to terms with this. And then from a business perspective, we'd got work to do to close out, to hand over. So we couldn't just all throw our hands up in the air and and not going to work the following day so as I say for a period of weeks I had a horrible time of I know something and I can't tell you knowing this is coming and a couple of them had said to me after you know with hindsight after we well I'd broken the news to them we thought something was going on we just didn't know what it was so you think you're an interesting lesson to us you think you're doing a good job of of not showing something's happened but they knew something was up they just weren't quite sure what was going to happen but they they needed me to lead them still through that process and the business needed me to effectively close out things professionally and properly and conclude as best we could what we were doing so it wasn't a question of just being able to say right I give up so as yeah as as I'm learning Helen you are not someone who allows external factors affect your career you've got where you are despite those what was next so ne- next for me was um not not a change within Skanska but a, a, a change of organization so um just coming up to a year ago actually um I joined Waits Construction this time to as uh, in another senior role so as a managing director for the the central part of the construction business the central region so Sticking with tier one contracting, which still provides me with challenge, opportunity, different perspectives on the world, but in a slightly different environment. So uh, tell us a bit more about this, you know, what's, what's involved in, uh, in that role? So my role at Waits is to look after effectively a quarter of their UK construction business. So within the construction stream, it's broken down into four regions north central london and south and i'm the managing director for the central region so that covers the chunk of the country as far north as derby as far west as um kind of wolverhampton and the west midlands and shropshire oxfordshire as far south as effectively the m25 and then east anglia as well so it's a big chunk of the uk and how how comfortable was that was that transition in many ways, there's a huge amount of similarity in terms of the environment that we operate in. The world of UK contracting is traditional, predictable, maybe to a point in terms of how the rhythm of projects. Um, different in the sense that Waits is a family-owned business, whereas Skanska's listed in Sweden. So you've got a, a, a externally listed company accountable to shareholders and the board waits 125 years old this year which is tremendous and and still owned by a family um but the culture and values are quite comparable actually which is interesting and that was certainly an appeal when i was considering what my my next challenge would be or next move might be was to 
to work within a business that was very much values driven. It's becoming even more important to me as I've gone through my career to to work in an environment that is respectful of people, respectful of our customers, respectful of how to do business in the right way. So looking forward, Helen, you know, what are you looking forward to most in terms of what's happening within your career? So one of the reasons that I, I joined Weights and that I have the role I do is that the business is positioning itself for growth. So over the next three to five years, the, the ambition is to um, increase the range of services we offer, increase the turnover of the business, but in a sustainable way that you know, secures the right kind of profit. So for me, it's about building on the work of the teams that I look after, that the business that I have, and using that as a platform for growth. So how we continue to deliver these amazing projects, but how we do it in the right way, how we retain the right people, how we give people the opportunities to grow and develop their own careers, um, how we attract the best and the brightest that we can to come on this wonderful journey with us, and how we just keep on delivering these brilliant bits of infrastructure. You know, as I said earlier, I'm really passionate about the role that good quality social and economic infrastructure plays in communities and in the growth of the UK. So to be part of a business that is growing, that is continuing to deliver those projects and do it in the right way and have fun along the way as well, that's a tremendous opportunity. So at this at this sort of point, it feels like we're in a sort of a really sort of nice and sort of inflection point whereby, you know, you have established an extremely successful career. We've you've done it despite sort of um, uh, external sort of in, impacts. I wanted to ask about the drivers and whether the same things that fueled that progression at the earliest stage of your career, and whether they are still the same today. Oh, good question. I suppose when I step back from it, fundamentally, I don't think personality-wise, I've changed a tremendous amount over the last X years. So I think from a personal values perspective, I think what got me out of bed and motivated me to go to work and do the best job I can and keep being interested and curious about what's going on around me. I don't think that's ever really going to change. And I think some of that learning comes from just a curiosity to, to find out about more things, more stuff, more people, more cultures, how we do things differently. So I don't think that's going to change. I think what probably has changed over time and I suspect is a factor in the kind of the seniority of roles that I now have is how I create those opportunities for others. So how I enable people within my business and my teams to have access to the same opportunity that I have done. So if they want to make choices similar to I have, great. If they want to carve a different career path, brilliant. But how I can play my part in making that possible for them? Well, well, Helen, I've, I've got to, I've got to say, sort of, you know, I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to this sort of story, and yeah, I think sort of there is no doubt anyone sort of listening to this, you know, uh, can not help be sort of inspired by it. So thank you so much for sort of sharing it with us. Nick, thank you so much for asking me. It's been a pleasure. 
The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world, with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast, and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.